You know, as I was going over this introduction to John's gospel again this week, it occurred to me that the story of the birth of Jesus is a miracle hidden in plain sight. And what I mean by this is in our modern world that has little place for that which is supernatural. So many Christmas cards, you look at them, you see a mother and you see her baby son. And and if that's all that's there, the birth of the son of God has been reduced to a kind of a Hallmark special, and it should be much more than a heartwarming Hallmark special. The reality is more mind-blowing, people, and and I'm saying this to myself more than anybody else, because just it's too easy to say it's another Christmas. God is spirit for all eternity going back to before. The physical universe was created, there was always God. And then scripture tells us he created these spirit beings before he finally created the physical universe. The three persons of God at this time, before there was anything physical, before he created everything in an instant, they agreed together. They agreed together that there would be a time when the second person, God's son, the savior king, would one day take on the body of humans, humans who were God's final creation. Okay? And the reason for this was to rescue rebellious uh, people from themselves. And you can read about that in Revelation, the answer to Genesis. But think about what happened, okay? A young virgin conceives a baby boy, uh, a boy child, when the third person of God, namely the Holy Spirit, comes over her. So because she is human, the baby boy born to her is the son of man, But because God, the Holy Spirit, is the Father, he's also the Son of God. Fully man and God in one human being, but in a human body. And there's more to it than even that. There is nothing that has ever been like this before or since. The eternal second person of God became a flesh and blood human being by becoming a fertilized ovum and a young virgin. And I left out the big word there. God is infinite, okay? I can't grasp infinity. I was was a math major. I had to deal with two different kinds of infinity and more. And it just blows the mind that this infinite God could become conceived in a woman and become a human baby. That is mind-blowing. That is just absolutely incredible. The contrast is unimaginable. But this is how God brought salvation to the broken human race. So with this merely scratching the surface 
background about what happened and what John's introduction to his gospel tells us about. And as I worked through it this week, I saw the beautiful poetic language in here. In the original, this is beautiful poetry, all kinds of images and repetition and everything having to do with poetry. And there's two halves to it. The pivotal turning point is verse 14 with the miracle of the incarnation. But leading up to it, I can sum it up this way. The word of God, the light to whom John witnessed. So all may believe he comes to those not knowing or receiving him, but all who receive and believe become God's children. So even in this part, we start out going all the way back, and it's very well known. The eternal word is creator, God, the light shining in darkness. And John witnessed to that light for a purpose. God intended that all might Believe John will cycle back to this in the last chapter. So I, I, I want to take it word for word, and it might sound a little funny because it's not our typical King James word order. But in beginning was the word, and the word was with the God, and God was the word. This one, in beginning with the God, Now, I'm not going to go into a whole lot of detail about this, but the word who later in this passage became equated with the name Jesus Christ is eternally both with God and God, okay? That means he is equal to God. But the grammar also indicates that all of the reality of who God is is more than just the specific word. So in the words I was using in the introduction, God is more than one person. And I put that in air quotes. Okay, moving on. All things have been through him and without him has been not one which has been. Now, that's a lot of words to just say. Quite simply, the word created everything. Ask God and along with God. Continuing on, in him life was being, and the life was being the light of men, and the light in the darkness is shining, present tense, and the darkness it has not Overtaken. So, first of all, Jesus, who is the Word, He is the very essence of life. God, God is eternal life from before we can imagine till forever. And this life is a shining light. And then it says, the light of men, the light. That is, the Savior word is light given to all mankind, all people. And as our world is becoming more and more individualistic and divided, let us understand that God doesn't see us that way. He sees us all as one. And then here's something just mind-boggling when we get a contrast here. It's not all just, you know, goodness. The living word light is always shining in darkness. And darkness 
has neither understood him nor been able to apprehend, grasp, or overcome the light. That's what this is saying. There's a lot of darkness in the world, and we can get overwhelmed by it. But this darkness is nothing compared to the word who is the light. And common sense tells us this. I I love this little illustration I heard many years ago. Walk into a dark room at night, flick the light switch, darkness is gone. Light always conquers over darkness. That's what John is telling us about Jesus. Then he says, and a man was who had been sent by God, his name, John, which actually, if you go to his literal Hebrew name, it was Yohanan. And I'll just skip and tell you right now, that means um, Yahweh, grace. The eternal covenant God is grace. This man came, this one, to witness that he might bear witness concerning the light, that all might believe through him. This one was not being the light, but in order that he might bear witness to the light. So he was God's gift. Yahweh is grace. His gift was to do this. He prepared the way for his younger cousin, Jesus. And look this up in all of the accounts. Um, that, um, well, first of all, he's preparing the way. Now, John said freely, I'm not the light. It was just to bear witness beforehand, before Jesus really burst on the scene. Okay, God intended that John's ministry of tough grace, and why do I call it tough grace? John had basically a one-word sermon, repent. Turn from yourself to God. But it was that all men might believe in the word, no longer in themselves. And then we're told the true light is coming into the world that did not know him and his own didn't receive him. But as many as received, they become God's children. And again, this gets tricky and powerful, but the true light was being, which is enlightening every man. That's present tense, okay? This isn't something that happened 2,000 years ago. Even today, Jesus is doing this. He's enlightening every man, and he's coming into the world. In the world, he was being, and though the world was made through him, it knew him not, So the truth of the word's light makes the light of lamps and even the light of the sun unnecessary. You can read that in the last chapter of the Bible. There's no longer any need for lamps. There's no longer any need for the sun in the new heavens and the new earth because Jesus is the light. And he and his light are continually coming into this world of darkness where we all live. But here, I think, is one of the saddest things in Scripture. People of this world cannot know the word, the true light, without the grace and the enabling power of God. I was visiting with a new friend yesterday just lamenting at what the world is coming to. And I said, it's always been that way. It takes a miracle for a person to change. 
So not just the world, but then further we're told to his own he came. And those, his own, they, him, did not receive. Now the Jews, they had the books of Moses, known as the Torah. They had the former historic and the latter um, who were people who were supposed to update Torah and apply it to people and enforce Torah. That's what prophets did. And then they had all of the writings, primarily the Psalms and the wisdom literature. And in all of these books, the Holy Spirit had given much about the coming Messiah, Redeemer. But we're told in the Gospels, many of the Jews failed to see Jesus Christ as the fulfillment of God's inspired written word. He came as the living word to fulfill the written word, and they missed it. Okay, after all this bad news, here's the good news. But as many as received him, he gave to them power, children of God to become, namely those believing in his name. So again, by grace, God gave to them power, children of God to become, those believing in his name. So what this is saying is by grace, God gave people the ability, the ability we don't have in ourselves to both decide and act concerning this eternal word. No one can earn the right to be a child of God. But John concludes this sentence, but as many ask, meaning any individual, any individual who will receive the word becomes God's child. And then God's children are given further grace to continue to believe in the name of the Son. And then which children, not from blood, nor from the will of flesh, nor from the will of a man, but from God they have been born. So this is nothing of men, nothing that we can do. Human flesh and blood and will power, they're insufficient to become part of God's family, children of God. But as Jesus would later tell Nicodemus, whoever continually and fully believes in him will be born from above. In other words, born from God by grace. Now we come to the second half, which builds on this introduction with a powerful truth. The truth I tried to touch on in the introduction. The word became flesh. And from his fullness, all have now abundant grace through Jesus Christ who is grace and truth. No one's seen God, but the unique and only God who took on flesh revealed him. So, summing up the introduction of this second half, the word became flesh, tented with people, full of grace and truth, John again bearing witness to his priority. Okay, let's go to it. Word for word, starting in verse 14. The word... Flesh became, and he lived among us, and we contemplated his glory. 
glory as the only unique one from the Father, full of grace and truth. I'm going to say it again. This incarnation, spirit God, infinite spirit God, taking on human flesh is an incredible miracle. The conception was not by a human man, but by the Holy Spirit of God in order that people might be saved through this miraculous man who is God. The eternal spirit God, think about it, took on human flesh. And the word used for living or dwelling is literally tabernacled in a tent. Now Jesus said he is the temple. He said, destroy this temple, I'll raise it up in three days. And this is the same thing. The tabernacle was the place to worship God until the temple was built. So here's this infinite spirit God tabernacling in the tent of human flesh. And people who saw him by looking at him intently, that's what it means to behold or to see or to gaze on him, they perceived he was paradoxically full of grace and truth. You know, and I thought about this just in my own life, and I think a lot of people are probably kind of like me. A lot of times when we speak the truth, we're not so gracious about it. And then when we get a little convicted and said, oh, I should be more gracious, we might pull some punches on the truth. But God is both simultaneously and perfectly, whereas it's kind of a paradox for us. Do you see, Jesus became man to love us by showing us fully what grace and truth look like in one package. And then John is bearing witness of him and cried out, even now saying, this one was being of whom I spoke. He after me is coming, has been before me, because first over me he was already being. So John continued to just witness to the truth of the word who is light and life. Now, humanly speaking, as I said, you can look it up. He was five months older than his cousin. But because he knew, he knew as a prophet that the word had been eternally God from before the beginning, John knew the word had supreme, supreme priority over him. Then we're told from his fullness, believers received grace for grace. Because law from Moses, grace and truth through Jesus Christ, no one has seen God. The unique God in the Father, he has revealed him. So John continues on, out of the fullness of him, we, we believers, we have all received grace upon grace. So from the word who took on human flesh, Those who received him and are believing in him experience all the fullness of his salvation. The eternal spirit savior took on human flesh. And this grace upon grace, I thought about it and I've only scratched the surface, but it talks about one gift of grace upon another. And I thought of these four and I know there's more. 
forgiveness of sins, light after darkness. We can be taken from darkness into his light by grace. Spiritual life after being born spiritually dead. Adoption as God's children after being estranged from God. And it goes on and on and on. For the law through Moses was given. Grace and truth through Jesus Christ have come. Now, the law is a bunch of detailed instructions from God on how to live in his grace and his blessing if people could do it in their own strength. But soon after creation, the man and the woman failed to live in obedience to God. And from then until Jesus became human, the law became a curse to people and not a blessing. But through Jesus Christ, in his first coming, which we celebrate this week, the Savior King, I'm translating his name into English because Jesus Christ is just syllables in English. He's the Savior Messiah King. He loved people to the extent of dying in their place so that they could perceive, they could Behold, they could take for themselves his grace and truth. Jesus became a man to love us by showing us what grace and truth are. And then God, no man has ever seen at any time. This is how John wraps up his introduction. The only, the unique God, again calling Jesus the word God, who is being in the bosom of the Father. This one revealed God. You see, to us now, because Jesus is back in heaven, God is once again invisible. And he had always been invisible until the Son, the Word of light and life, took on human flesh. Again, thank God we have the Bible and the Word and testimony of the apostles and generations of Christians to tell us He became a human being. He took on flesh. So to save people who do two things, they receive him and continue to believe in him. Now the son revealed to people the character of God. And how did he do it? He did two basic things while he walked on this earth. He taught with authority. He blew the minds of the experts in the law. And then all the rest of the people that encountered him, the works that his father gave him to conclude in that which he did. John will later tell us about this. They were all done as the son of man in human flesh, God in human flesh. Again, think about it. And and I'm really challenging myself to think about this. The eternal, infinite, spirit, savior took on flesh. Now, as a little coda, we're going to go back. It was read earlier. There is the last two stanzas of this song of ascent, Psalm 130. And as I meditated, I realized that John keeps saying the only way to receive the one full of grace and truth is by faith. And what we heard read from the psalm is the heart of faith. So again, let me read it for you because you 
I didn't remember it from when it was read, but the psalm writer says, I wait for Yahweh, my soul does wait, and in his word, I hope. My soul for Adonai, more than the watchman for the morning, for the morning. So the psalmist is waiting, and this word means I'm waiting by binding myself together with the covenant God and hoping in his word. His soul waits for the Lord, for Yahweh, his Lord Adonai also, the King Jesus, more than a night watchman, waits for the dawn when things will get less frightening and intense when the light has risen of the sun. Again, a metaphor describing who God is for people. And then he goes on, hope Israel in Yahweh, because with Yahweh there is steadfast love, and abundantly with him is ransom or redemption, and he will ransom or redeem Israel from his iniquities. This is the true steadfast love of God on this fourth Sunday of Advent of love that he has for people. And of course, it was most demonstrated when he sent his son to take on human flesh to ransom or buy back sinful humanity, saving them by grace and faith in his death and his resurrection for us. That's what the rest of the Gospels tell us. And it's all because the eternal spirit savior took on human flesh. I was thinking the other day, St. Anselm said, only flesh could redeem flesh. And the only flesh with the power to redeem flesh and blood people was if God became one of us. So as the last word, we all need to have our hearts filled with the hope of the patience of waiting for our Savior's second coming while we enjoy the peace that comes from experiencing his strong, self-giving, life-changing love. Let me just sum it up in a few words. The eternal word is God the light who came into the darkness of a world that had um, not seen God. And those in the world did not know him and his own did not receive him. But John witnessed to him as the word who became flesh full of grace and truth and revealed the invisible God. And all who receive him by believing him become God's children with abundant grace and having hearts filled with faith. That's why the eternal spirit God took on human flesh for us.